On this episode of Powered by Battery, we speak with Gilles God, the CEO of innovative fintech startup Cross River Bank. Cross River is both a bank and a tech company. Its technology positions it as a middleman between other online marketplace lending companies like Affirm and Rocket Loans and their customers. God is also busy right now thinking about ways to get his employees back to the office when he's not working as a volunteer EMT in the New York area. Have a listen. So, Shield Cross River is really an unusual kind of fintech company in that you guys are an actual chartered bank in addition to a technology company. So maybe you could just start by explaining to us at a high level, you know, how you operate, what market you're going after, and what your main business streams are. Sure. Thank you, Becky. So um, um, the the interesting thing about uh, recent developments in the marketplace is the fact that. Uh, people are really trying to cross lines. I mean, it used to be a very defined uh, demarcation between the banks and the fintechs. And the fintechs were um, attracting um, the banks to deal with them or trying to and to provide them with the uh, the backend integration to the payment systems and the payment schemes. Um, and that client has uh, virtually disappeared today. The, um, the, the market that we're trying to position ourselves in is the fact that we've always responded to the call of the fintechs uh, needing help in getting access to those payment rails, but do a, a lot more for them than just uh, you know renting our charter. And it was really to provide a wholesome both technology and compliance solution. Um, on the compliance side, that means we want to protect their consumers and we want to make sure they don't run afoul of the regulators. There are new realities on the ground with the advent of um, uh, mobile banking, for example, or internet transacting and so on and so forth. Uh, so the digitization of money has uh, triggered a, an avalanche of new regulations or reinterpretation of all the regulations. Uh, so this is, where, this is where we come into play and we're trying to perfect that model for them and to remove any uncertainty on how they should behave because that's not in their DNA and it is in ours. So they were catering to the consumers directly. So we said, okay, how can we help them best? It's not by competing with them. We're not going to develop a front end to do point of sale um, or a wallet or a, an ACH platform. We wanted to be the backend originator of all these transactions on their behalf. So we needed to develop ourselves a fintech um, identity. And we hired since then about 120 developers. And that's where um, we started developing um, a portfolio of APIs. We have over 600 APIs at this stage in our portfolio. And that truly cater for those front ends to plug into our back end and gain access to the payment rails or to our balance sheet. So that's really what differentiates us, which is we're a back end and middleware player at the same time that we have a banking license. We a wholesome solution that is fully integrated. So, so a big traditional bank would not have those 600 APIs, for example, because they're not oriented that way. That's correct. Okay. And what, what are some examples of, you know, some of, some of these fintech partners that you have? Because like you said, you're sort of a back-end middleware player, uh, but, but super important and a critical part of the whole fintech ecosystem. Who are some of the big partners that you work with right now? So on the lending side, we work with folks like uh, Marlette, Upgrade, Rocket Loans, Upstart, Affirm, uh, just to name a few. Um, we have uh, 16 plat partners altogether. Um, we originated last year roughly about $12 billion. 
that number obviously is going to come down this year. Um, but this is um, this is our sweet spot: is uh, the consumer lending of uh, products such as point of sale, um, debt consolidation, debt refinance, um, solar panel installation financing, home improvement. Uh, so these are some of the uh, the broad areas of consumer financing that we participated. Um, and then those, by the way, have ventured into the into the bank as a service uh, model as well. Like for example, a firm is um, has developed with us a, a bank account for their consumers, a savings account. Um, some others are developing the idea of um, having a wholesome co- consumer bank account associated with their uh, lending account. Um, so these are some of the services that we can actually piggyback on and cross sell to those ca- customers. On the payment side, we have folks like Coinbase, Google. The Google Wallet is transaction on, uh, transacting through us on the on a uh, on the push to card uh, product. Um, we have Earnin, Checkout, um, Plaid, um, Visa. We have a, a, a slew of clients and partners um, to the tune of about forty at, at this time and growing about fifty percent year over year. Okay, super interesting because a, a firm like a firm may be able to offer its customers a checking account, let's say, but they're not really a bank, so that's why they need to align with you. That's right. So you mentioned that I think you originated twelve billion dollars in loans uh, last year. That will come down, which leads me to my question, which is, you know, we were actually supposed to do this interview a couple of months ago, pre-COVID, and then the pandemic got in the way. You know, we're both working from home now as we as we talk to each other. Um, I'm sure there's a number of questions we should go through here, but how has COVID changed things for CRB and how are you managing through this just at a high level? So again, um, we have a philosophy of financial inclusion and trying to bring solutions to a problem. Um, We don't worry too much about the financial ramification of that solution. Um, In this case, we... Uh, when we heard about the PPP program, which uh, helps a lot of uh, the companies out there, uh, the you know the several million uh, corporations that are in the United States, and now what we did is that we just reached out to our partners, saying, you know, you have a, a privileged uh, situation with us. You are our partners. If you want to originate PPP loans on behalf of your clients or your clientele, we'd be more than happy to service that business. And they obviously uh, took us on. And then it really caught up like a rapid fire. And um, the last thing we, we knew was that 35 fintechs um, signed up with us to be brokers, to refer deals to us. And uh, that really contributed to the volume of uh, close to 115,000 loans. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. So again, it's not, you know, some companies I think might have just gone to their banker directly then to get a loan. But what you're saying is because your partners with, dozens or, or I don't know, hundreds of these fintech companies, they were able to go through you to get the loan. Is there an example you could offer maybe that might shed some light on how exactly that worked? Sure. So like, um, uh, for example, I'll give you two examples. One is Intuit. Um, so, you know, fintech company from uh, California, the, um, the, uh, the fintech uh, company that uh, houses uh, the Quicken uh, product. Um, so Intuit needed so they do have a front end to originate those loans. So they didn't need our front end, but they did need a back end to originate the loan as a bank, as well as connectivity to e-tran. So that's what we did for them. And we originated $1.6 billion of paper on their behalf. Um, another example is DV. So DVPay has a host of small businesses that clients, 
They also needed the system, but they also needed a front end because they didn't have a front end at their disposal to originate those loans. So we provided them both the front end and the back end to enable them to originate um, thousands of loans um, on behalf of their clients. And, um, and um, so basically what we provided them with is an ability to take an application that was fairly seamless, as well as an ability to close the deal because taking an application is one thing, processing is another thing. But the most difficult part in all this was really to get DocuSigned and to get eTran ready and then to send the ACH because most of these small businesses are not necessarily sophisticated and uh, they didn't know it was the first time for most of them um, to sign a DocuSign. And also they made a lot of errors in entering their ACH account. Um, you know, their writing numbers, for example, for their banks, they didn't have it handy necessarily. So we developed also the customer service or the contact center to help all these small businesses to walk through all these, uh, these uh, potential issues. Uh, that's where we were the most successful at, which was really to cater to a community uh, with fintechs to cater to a community that is not necessarily the most sophisticated. And, um, and I, I believe we were uh, fairly successful in accomplishing that with the objective of helping as many folks as possible, particularly the smallest businesses in the country. Our average size is 44,000 hours. Oh, wow. So you can only imagine. So, so the, the, the average loan being 44,000 hours, that means that we really cater to, you know, um, a, a small shop with three people um, or two. So, um, so that's basically the, uh, the average loan that we managed to originate. In, in order to do that, you needed to be nimble, to be fintech savvy, but at the same time, to be old-fashioned contact center customer service, to be able to cater to all their questions their queries and the issue resolutions that we need to go through. Wow. Okay. But yeah, I think, I think I read in the New York times too, that some of these people got their loans incredibly quickly, right? Just in a matter of days. That's right. I, I think, um, the record was 24 hours. Um, and, um, and, and that was really, really quick. Uh, but the, the, uh, the average I believe is five to seven days. And what about how COVID has affected the company and its operations? In terms of the way that COVID has, um, has affected us, I would say so far I, I've gained a tremendous amount of lessons on the character of CrossRiver, particularly its resiliency, um, the teamwork that has been experienced, and particularly we turned ourselves into a true work-from-home um, user of technology like Zoom, Bob, Slack, and many others. So that basically forced us in the, probably the um, the biggest team building exercise we could have ever hoped for, hmm. um, and that has that has proven to be extremely beneficial for many many years to come. It had forged our character, and like I mentioned before, there are no challenges, only opportunities. This is the way we looked at it. We tried to always spin it positively. What is the the glass? Is it half full, or half empty? We're not going to look at the glass half empty. And, you know, um, there's a saying that the way to look at the glass is depends where you look it from. If you look at from the top, you're going to see the half emptiness of the glass. If you look from the bottom, you're going to see the water first. That means you look at the glass as totally full. So if you position yourself beneath, that means with humility and with trying to understand the lesson that you can extract, you're always going to retain the lesson as the glass fully full. 
if you're looking from the top, that means, you know, you're imbued with a certain arrogance, then naturally the glass is going to be half empty for you. So right. that's our philosophy. So COVID was exactly the same way. And that really developed in the character of Quartura, whereby we looked from the bottom. We have everything to learn about this new phenomenon, the phenomenon of taking care of first of our families, of their health, of our employees, of their families, of reaching out to their um, uh, siblings, parents, um, sons and daughters that are on the front lines in the healthcare industry. And that are actually the nurses, the doctors, the, uh, the paramedics, the EMTs, the, the, the volunteers, right? So let's take care of them. Let's develop a fund that enables them to um, tap into PPE equipment, for example, or supplies. Um, and we dispersed over 150,000 hours of PPE equipment to the trust areas, hospitals, and EMT teams. So these are some of the lessons that have affected us. If we're doing the right thing by the market, by the people, by our employees and their families, ultimately we will do well. And the reason why we do well is because we do good first. You do right. good, you will ultimately do well. That's fascinating. I wanted to dive into that a little bit because I think you guys have, it seems like you've got above and beyond what many companies have done to, to help your employees and, and the community during this time. Where, where did you get all the PPE to donate? You know, because we've all read the stories about the shortage and the fights in the supply chain over this stuff. How did you manage to find this to give away to the, to the local health community? So we, we reached out very early on and, and we stockpiled um, a lot of PPE equipment uh, because we, we I'm in the, uh, I'm a, a volunteer EMT in the EMS, New York EMS system. Oh. Uh, and so I was, um, I was uh, fairly active. I've been fairly active for the past eight weeks. Um, and, and, um, and also um, we do air transport for critical ill uh, patients. Um, the, so we saw this coming very early on. And we needed equipment for ourselves and, 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 um, and supplies. So we developed a, 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 a few contacts nationwide to areas that haven't been affected at all. And they have stockpiles in those hospitals and urgent care centers and, and nursing homes. So what we did is that we reached out to them and said, why don't you ship it to us? We'll take care of it and redistributed it. And obviously we'll pay either cost, even above cost, if, that, if, if that's what you want. Um, and then we actually spread the wealth on the East Coast where it was most needed. So the two really big centers of uh, what we call Grand Zero are the East Coast, New York, New Jersey, and California. So we right. took care of our coast, obviously. But anybody that reached out to us across all states, we actually dispatched some equipment to them. We distributed, for example, over 250 ventilators to hospitals nearby. Wow, that's amazing. And okay, you're, I did not realize that you are a volunteer EMT. Have you been making runs? How have you managed to do that and run the company at the same time? I do it at night um, where I go on calls, you know, an hour here, an hour there. Um, and, um, and it's part of who we are. I mean, I encourage all my staff to take a break from sitting at their desk at home, which they have a tendency to go to do from 7 a.m. until 9, 10, 11 p.m. because we had a lot of the late night calls. You've got to get out. You've got to take a step back and, you know, take care of the family, take care of the community and, and uh, or just distract yourself. If not, um, this is not healthy, uh, particularly on a mental on a mental status. Wow. Wow. OK, well, that's that's amazing. I didn't realize that before you before you mentioned it. Um, let, let's talk about kind of your more practical challenges as a CEO in this time. I mean, I'm sure there was a there was a time maybe two months ago where you had to make a call to 
shut your offices. I don't know if that was, you know, before the official orders from New York or New Jersey, because your headquarters, is, I think, is actually in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Well, walk us through that. And, and how are you thinking about the return to work? Because we've now kind of come not quite full circle, but now people are starting to think about that. What, what are your considerations and what are you thinking about? And these are all new challenges, right? In addition to running the business, you have to think about the practicalities of all this. So, so I mean, it's obviously it's going to be gradual. Um, what we did do is that we called work from home very early on, on March 9th. Um, and that was about two weeks before uh, people were starting waking up to the idea of working from home. Um, so we prevented um, a lot of our employees to get sick. And also we provided them with a tutorial on how to stay healthy um, and how to prevent catching it. And that includes providing them with PPE immediately, gloves, masks, Purell predominantly, as well as um, immune system boosters, such as vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc. Um, in certain cases, um, providing them access to a doctor virtually so that the doctors could uh, prescribe DPAC or hydrochloroquine or any other, any other medicine that has been tested so far in the past three, year, three months. So the idea here was really to participate in their health and to make them understand that we want nothing. Nothing is more important at this stage of the game than their health and well-being. And we took exactly the same approach on going back to work. And we said to them, you, you saw over the past 90 days how important your health and well-being is to us. We're not going to change that trajectory. On the contrary. We're going to enable you to choose. If you want to so choose to come back to the office, we're going to turn the office into a health uh, dominion. And that means that we have only one flow of traffic. We have Purell station, stations pretty much every five or six feet. Uh, we have very strict guidelines on uh, social distancing. And we're providing uh, um, uh, gloves, masks, and other uh, PPE equipment um, to every single employee that comes in. Um, so. We want them to experience this. So we offer them flexibility on the schedule. You want to come for an hour, two hours, three hours, six hours. You want to come at night. You want to come in the morning. Um, and um, so all of these have, had to be put in place. It was quite quite a, uh, a, a logistical quagmire, uh, but we managed to pull through. And today we have over 75 people in the office. So gradually we are doing it in phases. Um, our goal is to have about 50% of our staff back in. We understand that the reality today is that we're not going to have 100% of the staff back in ever uh, because people tasted the, uh, you know, the goodness of having to work from home with the flexibility and the efficiency. And technology today is a game changer. Uh, between Zoom and Monday boards and, and, um, and Slack and many others, you have access to so much engagement features that you could stay engaged and collaborative in a collaborative environment with your entire staff almost 24-7. People feel really engaged and they don't have the need necessarily to come back. For some people, they do have the need. So we want to offer the flexibility. That's why it's purely on a voluntary basis. Um, this may change for some uh, critical functions, but overwhelmingly, we're going to keep that uh, mentality of flexibility we have a beautiful office. If you want to come and mingle with your, your, your co-workers and your colleagues, you're more than welcome to do so. If you want to continue using the technology to engage, you're also welcome to do so as well. And there's no bias either way. Um, so this is our approach to, um, to coming back to work. 
Wow. Okay. Well, all that stuff is, that's fascinating. I I did want to close though, by just, you know, kind of bringing it back to your core business and thinking about the future of fintech more generally, you know, on the one hand, I would think, you know, lending has become more difficult in this environment. You know, I read stories about people doing car loans, you know, nobody, nobody wants to buy a car right now. People obviously are going to have less money. We're we're headed into a, a, a difficult economic time. But on the other hand, people are very focused on their finances and their investments right now. And companies like Robinhood, you know, continue to raise money. I think they just raised money this week or last week in an $8 billion valuation. So when you look forward at your business specifically and in fintech, what, what are the key drivers or the key factors that you're considering as you try to forecast your business and keep going? So um, I believe that um, you're going to see, obviously, unfortunately, a number of fintech companies who are not going to survive this crisis. Who are going to turn, or who are going to turn very different after the crisis? They're going to be weakened. Uh, it's going to be more difficult to raise cash or raise capital. Um, there are definitely bellwethers that are managing through the storm because they have an established business that beats um, the crisis. Um, there is an interesting observation: is the fact that um, the lending folks are definitely going to experience a tremendous amount of decrease in volume. First of all, natural because there are less people that have a propensity to take loans. Secondly, because there's a tightening of the underwriting guidelines of the credit bond. However, uh, the CAC um, is definitely going to start going down significantly because after the crisis, a lot more people reach out directly and not necessarily through the traditional channels, but, but directly to the marketplace lending platforms that have a brand name. Um, they're also going to reach out to the point of sales, and they're going to definitely extend themselves to uh, take a loan um, because they're going to need it. And um, so once there is some sense of normalcy that is going to come back, the CAC is going to come down, and those lenders are going to see an increase in uh, probably in profitability on a per loan basis going forward. Um, also, they're going to see an increased market share because a bunch of those marketplace lenders are just not going to make it. That's on the, on the lending side. Um, the third thing is that those folks now do have access to bank as a service services. So that means that they could open a bank account, they could uh, do other services. They're going to diversify their uh, revenue line. So that means that they can actually do better than pre-COVID. On the side, I don't think the payment industry has suffered that dramatically, except if you're in the travel or restaurant industry. If you're in the travel or restaurant industry, obviously, um, you know. Um, it makes things a little bit more difficult for you um, because uh, those industries have dropped anywhere between 75 to 95%. Um, but if you are in the, um, in, in the pharmaceuticals, for example, distribution business or the traditional drug stores or, um, or convenience stores, all these have fared pretty well and the online lending industry is going to continue to fare well. Um, and that includes the food business, obviously, as well. That is up, I believe, 8%. Um, so all in all, uh, the fintech players that are in in the um, in the payment on the payment side of the business, they're gonna fare pretty well. The folks that are in the uh, the wealth management side, um, um, like for example, Robinhood Wealthfront, um, Betterment, um, who are phenomenal companies, by the way. Um, so they're gonna fare pretty well. We see an increase in the amount of money that is flowing through their books to be able to invest in, uh, you know, traditional banking products or just savings accounts. Um, so, so this is an this is an area that has fared pretty well in this environment, and obviously we we tend to benefit from those uh, both on both sides, 
and one as um, a little bit of a of a balancing act with the other in case of crisis. Um, so we we have a pretty diversified uh, revenue um, distribution that uh, we kind of enjoy in this environment. Um, but that said, again, um, that's what motivates us. What motivates us is truly how can we help the industry get back on its feet as a whole. And every loan we take it personally, if we can't make it, it's killing us, literally. And the staff has worked literally 20-hour days for the past three weeks since the PPP program started, maybe four weeks now, in order for us to extend ourselves to the maximum, to stretch ourselves, because we take it personally that every loan is as if it was our own loan. Um, so that's the mentality we ought to have in this environment. All of us collectively, all your portfolio companies particularly, but I would say the industry at large. All right. Well, we really appreciate all you're doing. I think you're do- uh, the fact that you're also making EMT runs is still um, still shocking me. But uh, but anyway, Gilles God, thank you so much for joining us and continued luck to you at Cross River as you reopen. Thank you, Becky. Nice, nice to see you.